My name is Keith Beavers, and I just found out it's impossible to hum while holding your nose. And I was like, no. And then I tried it. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Network? This is the Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the tastings director of Vine Pair, and how you doing? Okay, now we're going down the Rhone River. We're hitting the Mediterranean area. We're getting to Southern Rhone. This is a big, scattered area of craziness, and we have to dial in a little bit and talk about some stuff. Let's get into it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by the language of Yes, a love letter to Southern France sent from California. Pioneering winemaker Randall Graham's vision leads this old world, new world winemaking tribute with traditional winemaking methods like pastillage, post-harvest grape drying. This practice imparts notes of crushed lavender, rosemary, and sage to the Syrah and hints of strawberry, rhubarb, and the Grenache. These wines scored high with critics. To try language of Yes, Grenache, and Syrah, visit thebarrelroom.com. Okay, let's dial in to the Southern Rhone. This is what's, what I find interesting, is that when you're looking at a map of the Rhone Valley, the Northern Rhone visually on a map is a little bit easier to understand. And once we get into the Southern Rhone, the map gets a little bit, I don't want to say chaotic, but there's so much land under vine it's a little bit intense, so we have to kind of break it down a little bit. And it's just interesting because that, the Southern Rome, is the most popular on our market. The Northern Rome just doesn't produce as much. I mean, it's popular on our market, but the Southern Rome, forget about it. I mean, it's all over the place, and I'll tell you why in a second. But in the Rome episode in season two, I talk about how different the North and the South are. And I thought I would give a little bit of geological history as to why that is so. In the Burgundy episode, we talk, we talk about the Massif Central, the Central Massif, that large piece of rock that uplifted, creating all that chaotic soil in Burgundy. Well, that Massif at one point millions of years ago clashed with the Alps. And this created what's called a Rift Valley. That is now today the, the Rhone Valley. And in what is now the Northern Rhone, there was a lot of volcanic activity in the Central Massive, creating all of that granitic rock that I talked about last episode, also creating all those very steep hills. In the South, and the reason why it's so different is this area was flooded by the Mediterranean at one point, and then that reduced and reduced, and at some point became a river. So you have this rift valley that is a result of, you know, volcanic activity creating granitic rock in the north. And in the south, it's what's called fluvial soil, which is the remnants of the bottom of a sea. And with the massive to the west of the valley and the Alps, sometimes called the Young Alps, to the east of the valley, what you have from all that geological activity is a big mix of all different kinds of soils. We talked about granite, which is in the north, but in the south, you're dealing with limestone, sand, clay, and pebbles. That's very fluvial, if you will. 
And when it comes to humans, of course, I've talked before about the antiquityness, the ancientness of this place, the Romans' presence here and all that. But when you think about the, the Rhone, Southern Rhone, Côte de Rhone, we think about the 13th century. This is where something very interesting in history happened where a pope, Pope Gregory X, is granted by French royalty the Comtat Venaissin. And wherever there are popes, there are bishops, and there are monks, and there is wealth. And this area became a very wealthy, attractive place. And this papal state, or papal states, was, was the anchor was Avignon. Avignon is the town that is just bordering today's Provence, to the south. And in the 14th century, this place was such a hotbed of activity of wine and wealth and food that the papacy moved from Rome to Avignon with its northern border being the city of Orange or Orange. And about seven miles north, seven and a half or so miles north of Avignon on the river was a town called Roquemore. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but that was their port town. And this is where wine from this region gained the name Coast du Rhone. It eventually would change to Côte du Rhone, but this is where it all began. And just south of Orange is a commune called Chateauneuf de Pop. It was a very important, very special commune that the bishops held in high regard. And over time, Chateauneuf de Pop became known as a prestigious wine growing region. And over time, they developed their own winemaking styles. They actually had their own vine training system, which is almost like bush vines. And they worked with upwards of 18 or so different varieties to make the wine from. Okay, now fast forward to the early 20th century. In 1919, a man by the name of Baron Leroy married the heiress of a very respected chateau in Chateauneuf-du-Pape called Chateau Forcia. I've heard it also as Forcia. Now, I'm not sure what was going on at the time, but coming out of the Middle Ages and getting to this point, there was something he was concerned about as becoming the wine grower of this chateau. He was concerned about the, the quality of the wines from this region. And he had a list of ideas that could help this. Limiting growing areas, so people aren't growing vines in places they don't like to grow. Limiting the grape varieties allowed in the wines adhering to general local practices of winemaking and viticulture, methods of cultivation, I should say, and trying to control the alcohol content of the wines and also making sure that everybody's harvesting at the right time. Sounds like a wine appellation, right? Well, the Baron happens to be the co-founder of the INAO, which is the French organization responsible for granting AOC status. He was able to secure Chateauneuf de Pop an appellation, an AOC, in 1933. And from 1947 to 1967, he actually presided over the INAO. He also advocated for the wines of the surrounding region to not be called Coast de Rhone, but Cote de Rhone, which is an even more ancient term for the wines in the area. So, 
This is the model of the Appalachian system of France that everybody else in Europe basically copied. It all started here. So today, from north in Orange, down south to Avignon, actually even down to a place called Nîmes, which we'll talk about, and east and west is the southern Rhone. And in the northern Rhone, where not a lot changes, and the southern Rhone, to this day, is still an ongoing development of wine appellations. Because in the southern Rhone, the majority of the, AOC, gen, the general AOC Côte de Rhone is in this area, and it goes up past Orange, up to that town called Vienne, that old Roman town up in the northern Rhone. But in a sort of tightly compact and defined area in the southern Rhone, there are about 20 villages that can attach their commune or village name to Côte Rhone. And these are what are called the Côte Rhone village. They, you know, Côte Rhone with their village. But the thing is, they can be upgraded at some point. So today, five of these 20 villages are actually, have been granted AOC status. Some of them very recently. For example, there's a commune called Rasteau, R-A-S-T-E-A-O. I'll talk about it in a second. But when I had my wine shop, I actually was around when it changed. So I had Coteron Rasteau for a little while, and then as I would buy it, it became just Rasteau. I think that was in 2010. So of all of these villages, five of them, Baume du Venise, Gigondas, Rasto, Vakiras, and Vinsrobe, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, are now their own AOCs. And they join other existing AOCs like Lirac, Tavel, Chateauneuf-du-Pape, Ventoux, Luberon, and now some, a place called Costeris de Nîmes. There are a few others, but we don't really see them in the American market. And this is a lot to take in, so we'll start with these. One thing to sort of wrap your mind around with the Southern Rhone is everything is based primarily off the grape Grenache, then Syrah, then Morvedra, and to a lesser extent, a grape called Sanso. And if white wines are made, they're primarily going to be from Grenache Blanc, Marsan, Roussan, and a, a short list of other blending varieties like Bourg Blanc. And the other thing to know about the Southern Rhone, the wines are big. These are some of the most alcoholic wines in France, reaching sometimes up to 14 to 15% alcohol. And because we as Americans traditionally really like big, full-bodied wines, I mean, Robert Parker liked big, full-bodied wines, and he gave high scores to those wines, so we ended up liking that. And Chateauneuf de Pop is right in our wheelhouse. It's like Chateauneuf de Pop is so popular on our market. This is the famous region that has the pebbles, where you the pebbles soak up the, the sun throughout the day, and at night they stay warm and still help the grapes uh, ripen at night. This is not everywhere in Chateauneuf de Pop, but this is why it's so one of the famous things about it. It's also famous for that list of grapes that the Baron back in the day allowed into the AOC, up to 13 varieties. But in reality, the majority of the, of the region does, for reds, 
Grenache, Syrah, Mauvedre Sanso, like I said, and Grenache Blanc, and then Roussan and some Bourg Blanc and a little grape called Claret. But whether white or red, these wines are massive. There are Chateauneufs of Pop that are very expensive and very focused, but the majority of them that we know are big, full-bodied red wines. And all of these AOCs are going to have, you know, Grenache first, Syrah, the Mavedra, in different proportions, depending on their terroir and what they want to show to you. Like, to the east of Chateauneuf de Pop, there are a grouping of three of these AOCs, Rastot, Gigondas, and Vakiras. And the three of them have, they're, they're big and they're full-bodied, but they have subtle similarities depending on who makes the wine. The Gigondas is at a higher elevation, has a more of a rockier terrain and more of a rustic style. And Vakiras is going to be on that level, just not as dense. This, these are very general terms. It's, it's different from winemaking to winemaker. But what the cool thing is, these wines, Chateauneuf de Pas can be expensive, but these wines are pretty affordable. And the Rastot, which is the newest one, that has more of a earthier, there's a little more acidity in depth in these wines that separate from the from the intensity. Again, that's a very general statement because every winemaker is different. And actually, just south of those three AOCs is an AOC called Baume du Venise. And Baume du Venise is not really well known on our market for red wine, although they're starting to get more red wine, starting to make more red wine. There's a another AOC in that AOC called Muscat du Baume du Venise, which is amazing sweet wine. It's made from the Muscat Blanc, a petite grand grape, and they are floral, beautiful, balanced, syrupy, great acidity. Oh, they're wonderful. And you won't see them a lot on the American market, but if you see one, grab it. Because let's say you're not into sweet wine. After tasting this one, I'm pretty sure you'd be into sweet wine. And south of that grouping of Vacuras, Resto, Gigondas, and Baume de Venise, south of that are two very large wine-growing regions called Ventoux and Luberon. And you're going to see a lot of that on the American market because they're so large. And there's no real set style here, but because they're made from the same blends as basically all of these wines, Grenache, Syrah, Mavedra, sometimes Sanso, they vary in depth but they're affordable, and it's kind of fun to bounce around and try to find the one that you like. West of Chateauneuf-du-Pape, or I should say sort of a little bit southwest, is Lirac, L-I-R-A-C. And Lirac is an AOC that has had this history of bishops really liking wine from this area. And just like all of them, this is, it's the same thing, Grenache, Syrah, Mavedra, Sanso, and then some white wines and some rosés, which we'll talk about in a second. But... Again, you have to go through and try different Lirac to kind of get a sense of, you know, of this. Because almost all of these AOCs, they mostly require at least 50% Grenache, sometimes 60, sometimes more. So it really depends on what these winemakers want to do with the different other varietals to blend with to kind of get their own style going. And again, Lirac is not crazy expensive, so you can bop around there. Another very historically significant AOC that borders the southern border of Lirac is Tavel or Tavel, T-A-V-E-L. This is a this is great. This is an AOC in the Southern Rhone that does only rose. Only rose from Grenache, Syrah, or Mavedra, 
or Senso. And it's like no other rosé on the planet. They are structured rosé. They are powerful. They have depth. Like you can feel the weight of these rosés on your palate. Yet because they're rosés, they still have this beautiful blossom of acidity in there that breaks up that depth. And this is one of the only rosés, one of the only pink-hued, well, they're kind of sometimes a lot darker than pink, wines, rosé-style wines that can be aged. You can even, the thing is you can drink Tavel young or you can drink it aged. Now, aging means about five years. I've, I've heard them going to 10, but really it's a five-year thing. But they really do develop over time. It's pretty amazing stuff. So that's pretty much the Southern Rhone. You have these ancient, or not ancient, you have these established AOCs that were sort of like loved by the popes and all the wealthy people. Then you have the Cote du Rhone village that, if ambitious enough, can eventually be upgraded to its own AOC. And, of course, the generic or overarching Cote du Rhone that you see almost everywhere in the American market. Now, I can't do a Southern Rhone episode and not mention Costieris de Nîmes. I'm pretty sure, I'm hoping, well, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly. It is the most Southern appellation in the Southern Rhone, and it's south of Avignon, so it's like kind of south west of Avignon. And what's interesting is I've been to this place. And when I was there, it was not part of the Rhone. It was actually part of the Languedoc. But recently, it's been transferred over to the Cote de Rhone. And what's very unique about this place is it doesn't have the crazy geology that the Rhone has. It, it's very low-lying hills, kind of rolling. It's kind of almost flat. There's very, it's almost drought-like conditions there. But the thing about this place is the Mistral, which is this crazy wind that comes down from the, from the north, rushes into the Mediterranean, and goes back up into the landmass. And it's great for keeping vines cool and also not allowing a lot of pests to come around. The Mistral is, I don't know that... The, the, I don't know if it's a general translation, but it's 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 kind of translated into miserable because it does make people miserable. But for vines, it's great because when this stuff comes up with the landmass, every part of southern France has their has a name for the Mistral when it enters into their region. It's kind of cool. It's almost like they have nicknames. So Costa Rica Nîmes does the same thing as everyone else. There's Syrah, Grenache, Saram, Avedra, there's Marsan, there's Roussan. I mean, they're big and full-bodied as well. Sometimes they have a little bit more acidity to them because of all that all that uh, Mistral wind. But I believe the reason why it was brought back over to the Rhone is because it has a history of wines being sent to Avignon for the papacy. So with that connection, I think that's, that might have been it. I'm sure there might have been a terroir thing too. I'm not really sure. But it's now part of the Rhone. All right, so there you have it. That is what you're going to see on the American market when it comes to Southern Rhone. Other places might come online or there might be some scattered around, but we'll talk about those as they become more prominent on the American market. But for now, I hope this was a nice dialed-in episode to supplement the second season Rhone episode. We'll talk next week. Fine Pair Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. 
And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pair headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pair. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pair, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pair staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. EMJ Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pairs Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.